Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca Podcast episode. And uh, I'm here with Leslie. You, you feel like, in some ways, kind of a longtime friend just because th- the connection has been great. Our conversation, even before I started recording, is great. Um, we had a great opportunity to connect in person at least once, maybe twice now. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be on your illustrious podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I, I say this and people think, well, it's probably just, he just says this thing and he feeds people lines, but I truly feel like it's a privilege to have you as an individual, you specifically on the podcast. One of the things that immediately just kind of drew me in um, and, and made me want to have you on the show is your photography, your black and white photography specifically. And we're actually going to talk about that today. Um, documentary family photography which is something that you specialize in, but it is so engaging. And, Thank you. Well, and not only that, you have the most beautiful family. Um, I mean, your husband Aww. is extremely handsome. Your kids are just adorable. <laughs> and uh, some of these pictures that you post of, of you guys are just, it's so beautiful. So that, that really grabbed my attention Thank too. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. I like them as well. I think they're kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll keep them. And what's your husband's name? <laughs> My husband's name is Aaron. Aaron. Okay, so how long have you and Aaron been together? We have been together 12 years in January. Okay, awesome. Been been married 12 years in January. We've known each other since we're, we were 21, and I am 36. Wow. Okay, so, how, so I have to ask you, how did you meet? So we met actually through our best friends, which was really cool. Okay. I was, my best friend and I were roommates in college. She was dating this guy at the time. And so he asked, I think she went to my husband's house. Um, Like they went, he went over, they went over there to meet Aaron. And um, he asked if she had any friends and she said, yes, I have my roommate. Like, would you guys like to meet? And then he loves to tell the story because I said, I don't want to meet, you know, his, his friend. Like I'm not interested. (laughs) And um, he came anyway and we went to the movies and, we continued to date and um, they didn't. She's happily married now with two kids to uh, her husband. But like, so, you know, we stayed connected. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's how we met through our best friends. He, I look at this picture and there's actually one, this podcast episode will air in the next three, four weeks or so. But there's a, your most recent post on your personal Instagram, which is Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, Kershaw, K-E-R. S-H-A-W for everybody listening in. We'll link to this in the show notes too. But there's this picture that you posted most recently, September 29th, of your whole family together, it looks like, one just big selfie trying to, to, to get everybody in the picture. 
But that picture of your husband, he just looks like the most genuinely kind individual. Like you want to sit down, have a drink, and have a conversation with him. Nathan, let me just tell you, you would love him. <laughs> He's a big talker. Yeah. You guys would get to talking and you'd have a great conversation. So we have to make sure that we make that happen one day. Oh, I would absolutely <laughs> love that. And and I was actually telling you before we started recording um, that I have a, a second podcast that's been kind of set aside for the time being just with limited time, but it's specifically about relationships. We might have to have have you on the on that podcast as well just to because i'd be oh, curious to dig love into that to be on that podcast we love to talk about relationships and how you know we aim to have a you know kind of respectful yeah. you know relationship and why you know it's very important for us to both honestly express ourselves and just you know i think you know relationships is just all like it just starts with respect you know and so we both respect each other you know show a lot of high regard and respect for one another. And I think that's why we have such a great relationship. That's, that's huge. I mean, we could literally stop the podcast episode now and just end on that <laughs> note because it is, and, and I think it may be for some, it would take a little bit. They'd be like, well, yeah, of course they start with respect and then they just move on. But, but the reality is that that is, that holds really, really deep meaning. I've certainly realized that more in recent years, I was previously married and and have since learned a lot about relationships since my ex and I split. And I'm now in a, in a relationship mm-hmm. with a wonderful woman named Jill. And I, I've, I've continued to learn more about the significance of respect. It really does so much of the relationship. The root of the relationship has to be there in respect, rooted in respect. Absolutely. And it's a, it's definitely a choice. You know, it's a hmm. choice that you have to make in every encounter, you know, um, it's a choice that you make. And so that's why I think it's so important because, you know, you can have all of the other things, but if you don't have that initial level of respect, things can go, you know, AWOL very quickly. <laughs> well, and, and it holds true across the board. You know, I mean, in conversations and in all types of relationships with all types of people, it, it absolutely has to start with respect. And, uh, man, that that's a that's probably like three or four or five podcast episodes worth of conversation just right there. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, well, we'll we'll, let, we'll leave that for another day. But let's go ahead and get into <laughs> into um, what is kind of our our normal outline, at least at the first part of it. And, and we normally talk about this idea of brand position. Now, first of all, just to give a little bit right. of context to you and your business, what market are you based in currently? Washington, D.C., and I'm a family photographer. Okay, cool. So family photographer, Washington, D.C. Now, I, from what I understand, the D.C. market is, is pretty full of photographers. There are a lot of photographers in that area, wedding yeah. photographers, portrait photographers, or otherwise. Uh, particularly wedding photographers, I've, I've, it seems as though I've, I've heard there are quite a few there. But regardless, you've got to figure out how to stand out amidst the crowd of photographers. And so we talk about the significance of brand position, which is really just a, a unique value proposition, right? If somebody knows about Leslie Kershaw photography, what should happen is, is this kind of idea pops into their head immediately. Oh, she's the photographer that you know, fill in the blank. So what would, what would that line be that should come to their mind? So my kind of like brand positioning is that I capture the soul of everyday family life. Interesting. Okay, so talk to me about soul, because I know this is a word that you hear in culture a, a decent amount, but it can be a bit subjective in meaning. What does that mean to you? Absolutely. So, you know, soul to me is just kind of like the essence of, you know, what your family is, you know, and I think that's kind of like what documentary photography is all about, like capturing who you are, and that's very individual. Mm. So, you know, what might be, you know, soulful for one family isn't going to be soulful for the next family. And so, like, I work really hard to make sure that, you know, 
not that other people see the uniqueness in a family, but that they see their uniqueness when they get the images back. Huh. Okay. You know, because I think that that's also subjective. Like, you know, everybody, you know, feels like they're unique. And I think that you don't always, you know, to the, you know, the viewer, you may not always see like why something is special and unique to them, but they can look at the images and see. And, you know, so it's, you know, the images are for them. The images are for, you know, their, their generational historical images to keep and to, you know, refer back to and to, you know, spark memories and just kind of, you know, remember, you know, a place in time. That's one of the, you know, kind of, I will talk about this later, but that's one of the um, reasons why, you know, I choose to shoot this way is because, you know, I feel like I don't have the best memory of my childhood. Mm. And it's really important for me to, you know, document that for my kids, you know, so they can see it, but also for myself. <laughs> I can yeah. remember. <laughs> well, but there's there's something interesting. I'm I'm actually on the homepage of your website currently. And again, for those of you listening in, Leslie Kershaw, L-E-S-L-I-E-K-E-R-S-H-A-W.com. And again, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But uh, there's this picture of who I'm assuming is your husband with one of your children. Is that right? Yes. Which picture is it? <laughs> it, it actually, there's a lot of those. It looks like the, the, the shadows of the blinds are kind of running across oh, yes, his yes. back. And what I was going to say is it, it's, you've done such a beautiful job there of not only capturing the so-called soul of your family life, but have done so in an artistic way. And if you can do both at the same time, it's, it's just stunning. And, and you seem that this seems to be something that you have a knack for. Uh, so I have to give you props for that. But oh, thank you. Oh, hundred percent. No, and hundred percent mean it too. But the, the in that market, I'm sure there are other photographers who might label themselves documentary photographers. So how do you effectively communicate the difference between yourself, a documentary family photographer, and others who might claim that that same title? What's the differentiation factor, and how do you communicate that? One thing is that um, I've stopped doing that I feel like you know my work with my own family is purely documentary mm. and the work that I do with other families depending on like what they want need like you know their personality it can be a mix you know so it can be a mixed bag but you know in my heart I would you know truly wish to you know photograph them completely documentary but I, I do like to be very respectful of the standards of what documentary photography is and what you know photojournalism is it's no manipulation of the scene of the image there's yeah. no coaching there's strictly so I don't necessarily position myself that way to clients but I'd like to position myself to them as a storytelling photographer so like you know all photographers, you know, tell stories. I mean, that's basically our job. But I think um, for people who are like new to the genre, um, I think that's the best word to use for them to understand that, you know, I'm here to take lots of images and hopefully create a story hmm. of, you know, our day, our time together yeah. of this moment. Well, and we're going to actually get into that, that process, um, or at least the thought process behind how you go about documentary family photography in just a bit. So we'll come back to this this conversation, but let me keep moving. How long have you been in business for yourself as a photographer? I have been in business four years. Four years. Okay. So relatively new to the game. I'm, I'm curious though, in yes. that time frame, what's been one of the most significant lessons that you've learned as a photography business owner? To not get 
stuck in fear. Like, you know, fear of like the unknown, um, fear to try something new, fear to like, you know, make connections, uh, like, you know, fear to try to like niche when being, for me, when being a business owner, like um, in my heart, I'm more of a creative and some of, you know, the business decisions like, you know, that you have to make, you know, they cost money. They cost time. They cost quality of life sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And so you just kind of have to decide how far you want to go with it. I personally am a um, part-time photographer. I still work full-time. So it allows me a little bit of, you know, flexibility to, you know, be creative and to um, have like a unique, you know, proposition where, you know, I don't necessarily have to, you know, I can make a goal of how much money I want to make and, you know, how much, you know, I shoot, but it's not my, my livelihood isn't 100% attached to taking photographs. Okay. I think that that allows me to have a little bit more flexibility than some photographers um, have. Yeah, that's, that is a ideal place to be in where you're not solely reliant on the income from the business. So it gives you a bit of flexibility to, to figure, to figure things out and to, Mm -hmm. to also be selective in the clients that you take on because, uh, you don't absolutely have to have that next, whatever it is, the, the portrait session or event or otherwise in order to make ends meet. That That is a really ideal, in some ways, an ideal place to, to be in. And probably some photographers would be a bit envious of you. But I'm curious, though, when you talk about this this idea of fear, you and I were actually having a brief conversation about psychology before we started recording. I find it fascinating on multiple levels. But this idea of fear is is largely based in assumptions about the future, right? And many times those assumptions are, are projections on the situation based on, uh, again, assumptions regarding that particular issue, that particular scenario or otherwise. So I, I'm curious how you've been able to kind of step beyond those so-called assumptions and overcome the fears and make the moves that you need to for your business. Um, I think you have to say present and you need to, you know, set set strategic goals. That was like another thing that we talked about. You know, I think if you are um, allowing the decisions you make in your business to be based on things that you see other people are doing and, you know, it's, you know, you haven't, you know, kind of sat with yourself and said, okay, what are the strategic decisions or like goals that I have you know, for my own business, for my own life, you know, like, what does that mean? And, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, when we're fearful, you know, we may not be, you know, acting in, well, it's a mix because like most of the time when we're fearful, we should be, that's, if we're scared of something, then we should be doing it. Hmm. But also the other side of that is that sometimes, you know, we fear the unknown, you know, so like you have to learn about it. (laughs) You have to like be be willing to kind of just take the time, yeah, and you know sit with it and actually learn it so that it doesn't scare you anymore. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's a lot of it is just about education and awareness at the end of the day. Because again, that, that fear so many times, and, and I speak from personal experience, that fear so many times is is a projection, an assumption. Well, because this happened, or I heard this person say this thing, then this must be what is going to happen. And now I'm just gonna. You need to project the sense of fear on 
on this particular scenario when the reality is I don't know what it's actually like to be in that situation. I don't I don't know where this other person who told me this thing could be scary or, or otherwise where they got that information and if that was just a one-off experience or if that holds true for a thousand other people. I mean, there's so many potential variables there to consider. The other thing about fear that I find interesting, you know, if you just scroll through Facebook these days or Instagram or otherwise, people are talking about how they are highly anxious or some something related to fear that they're fearful of this thing or fear, fearful of that. And I think we've in some ways gotten kind of a, a distorted perspective in 2019 American culture about what is actually uh, something that should be causing us to kind of go into fight or flight mode. I, it, for whatever reason, and I don't know where, where this originally came from, but I tend to go to a soldier in battle and, and the incredible amount of potential fear they must face if they've got a gun pointed at them or they're running mm-hmm. into a place where bombs are being dropped, whatever the case may be. But that that's truly life-threatening. When we talk about anxiety, that, that's going to cause a level of anxiety potentially that could just be almost unsurmountable, a level of fear that only a few of us, percentage-wise, of, of our population actually know what it's like. And so I wonder, too, if we need to gain a little bit of a fresher perspective on what what we should be giving so much significance to in, in the context of fear. It, it, do you think that we too easily get afraid of something these days when, you know, the reality is in some cases we just need to make a move, see what happens, course correct if need be, and it's really not as big of a deal as we make it in our minds? Hmm. I think that the mind is very tricky because for some people who, you know, like suffer with those feelings of anxiety, it literally feels that way. And it feels really, you know, kind of just starting feels, you know, debilitating and you know like you know they they get those feelings i think that yeah it's really hard to like i i'm i'm the type of person who tries not to like you know project or put myself in a place of like you know what someone else is thinking sure but i do feel like i i get what you're saying and you know i agree to an extent i just think that we need to be more kind you know to ourselves mm. and to not try to do you know like all of the things i mean sometimes the anxiety that like we might be feeling or facing, you know, I I think for me personally is, you know, an expectation of Uh, how, you know, something should play out, you know? So it's really about like releasing that expectation of how something should be. And so that kind of goes back to the, you know, staying present, you know, like staying in the moment, like not, you know, thinking about past, not thinking about future, but, you know, really trying to like, you know, ground yourself and like, you know, stay present. Like, okay, so, you know, if my mind starts to go into future, then like, you know, that's building the anxiety. But if I can kind of like come back to the present, the present and say, okay, like, but where, what am I doing now? Like, what can I do to like, you know, take one step to make this better? I think that really is the thing. Like, you know, we, yeah, we just kind of have to release some of the expectations on ourselves I like and that. on what we were supposed to do yep. versus like what we are actually doing right now. Well, and I just want to be very clear about one thing. And, and that is, I didn't mean to minimize the significance of, of anyone's feelings per se. I, you mm-hmm. know, I went through a pretty dark place after my ex and I split and there were probably a good two or three years or so, maybe even longer really, where I pulled back from the photography industry, which I've been such a significant part of, such a close part of as a photographer, right. speaking from stage, connecting with photographers, trying to help them with their business. And and I kind of pulled back. And part of that, and I look back now, and it took me so much time to come out of this place where really I was just kind of 
in my own head, in my own feelings, focused on my feelings, and, and it was me, 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 me. And that ultimately held me back from growing as, as quickly as I could have or as making a change in my life as quickly as I could have because I was just kind of fixated, not just on my feelings, but the, the, the kind of underlying issue with our feelings many times, and you alluded to this actually when you're talking about expectations, is the way that we frame a situation. It's the story that we tell, yeah. our, tell ourselves about that particular scenario. And so when I talk about perspective, when I was talking about perspective earlier, I didn't mean to minimize the significance of, of our feelings, anybody's feelings at the end of the day. But what I'm suggesting is that, and, and I'm going to go back to your point, we need to frame the situation in a bit of a different way. If it's an expectation Absolutely. that we're projecting on the situation and we realize that changing that expectation can change the way that we feel, that's incredible because that indicates self-awareness. And now we're taking responsibility for our feelings versus just kind of saying this thing happened to me and I'm freaked out and I'm just not going to do it. There's self-awareness that drives our behavior. And, and I love that you highlight that. I think that's beautiful. Absolutely. And I can tell you are a meditator because (laughs) this, you know, uh, idea of like, you know, focusing just on self really kind of boxes you in. You know, you have to, it really boxes you in because you're just like, well, me, 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 me. I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one, you know, who has these problems. And, you know, if you can step back and, you know, kind of think about other people and, you know, like how other people might, you know, be affected. And like you said, you know, like, you know, your war scenario, like I'm I'm not having to do that right now. Like I literally just have to take the next step. So um, I, I there's yeah, a comment. There's a. There's a, 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 a phrase that I use with my kids to, to their annoyance, I think, at, at times because I've used it so much. But I, I always throw out that kind of cliche phrase, first world problems. Um, and, and, and I do it kind of jokingly in, in a way, but it also helps me maintain perspective too, that like when this mm-hmm. thing that I'm making, maybe making too big of a deal, uh, I realize when I compare that to situations, scenarios, a, a life that so many people elsewhere may be facing that is so much more difficult, so much, uh, that, that, that would naturally cause so much more anxiety or, um, fear or at the end of the day, hunger, sadly, or, you know, whatever the case I, I've got it. I've got it made. I've got it beyond made. And so the idea that I would put right. so much significance on this and and feel sorry for myself or be so upset, there's. I need to change again. I need to reframe this. I need to change my perspective. And I do this with my kids mm-hmm. too, just because I want them to also realize we can't. There is a tendency again in our culture these days. We just tend to blow everything up, and it's easy to do that when you have food and shelter, and and you know don't have to worry about having the next meal on the table, whatever the case. It's it's easy to, to to then start to fixate on other things that really shouldn't carry so much significance. If we can maintain perspective about how much we have, um, I think that'll shift our perspective a little bit about the significance that we give to these individual situations. Maybe we don't blow them up as much, and then as a result, they don't hold us back personally or professionally um, to the extent that they maybe could. So again, a- another loaded topic. And and by the way, I really yeah. appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate your empathy because I know I'm being a little bit more straightforward and, and, and we really do have to kind of consider everybody's perspective and that's, that's a loaded conversation in and of itself. But I, I love your empathetic approach to this. At the end of the day, to your point again, thinking about how we're framing the situation is really important and I think we should all keep that in mind both personally and professionally. But let's keep going. I want to talk about time because you've got a, I mean, you've got a family and a business mm-hmm. trying to do both at the same time. That's, that's a lot to juggle. How do you, and, and then we talked about meditation earlier, and I do love meditation and, and on multiple levels. 
how do you make time for yourself, for your family, um, to stay healthy personally, to, to keep relationships healthy within your family and with, with friends as well, um, while simultaneously running your business? Do you have a particular workflow tip or trick that you can recommend? So I think it's a combination of every, you know, a lot of different things. I definitely, you know, try to live my life mindfully. <laughs> okay. And, you know, so just I strive to be like more mindful in everything that I do. So, you know, when it comes to like my business, when it comes to work, when it comes to, you know, balancing family life. And I also try to, you know, really, you know, know what my priorities are. You know, I think a lot of times we can feel overwhelmed with life when we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm not the best at this. You know, obviously, um, I have a shift. I have to like reset sometimes. Mm. I forget, you know, I I don't have good boundaries around, you know, some things. I say yes to things that I shouldn't. And then, you know, I mm. get upset because I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> so I do read a lot of productivity books and I try to, you know, take things from, you know, every place. Like, so this, um, this past maybe like six months, I read three habit books. Really? And yeah, so it was, uh, I'm going to mess up the titles, so I'm not even going <laughs> to talk about them. But some, you know, I read Atomic Habits. That was one of them. Okay. I think another one was called The Now Habit. And then the other one is that Science of Habits book. Okay. Um, and so I just tried to, you know, I just try to like, you know, keep myself informed and I'm always tweaking yeah. my productivity and the things that I try all the time. But I think for, you know, you definitely should stick to one thing first and see if it actually works. <laughs> for me, it's having like a really solid morning routine yeah. um, where like, you know, I make sure that, you know, I have some time for myself yeah. in the morning, you know, kind of creating a list of who are my priority people, you know, like mm. <laughs> so that I can, that's something that I can like look back to. So if someone else asks me to do something, they're not like, like one of my priority people. Like I need to be able to say, okay, no, I can't do that. And kind of the same thing for my business, you know, a checklist. You have to keep reminding yourself, like, is this aligned with those priorities that I have yeah. for my life and my business? You know, and, and this is another point on which we could just end the podcast episode, because if all of our listeners literally took that one idea where they're, they're, they have a clear understanding of what their goals, bigger picture goals are personally, and of course that then affects what you do professionally, that would that would literally enable them, you and I were talking about this before recording, that would enable them to filter out the stuff that's irrelevant. And the amount of time that you would save just implementing that in your business consistently would be mind-blowing. Um, so I'm glad yeah, that you highlighted that. But it's very hard to do because, you know, we have so many other influences. We see, you know, I'm often triggered by something else yep. someone else is doing. And I find myself shifting and then I have to like reset and say, why am I doing this? Like this wasn't <laughs> even a plan or priority, but I went on Instagram or I went on Facebook yep. and I saw this idea. And it's someone who, you know, always, you know, I work full time in marketing. So we're always coming up with ideas and like, oh, maybe I could try that. And it's yep. just like, no, like I, I have to stay the course. Like I can't try to implement something new right now. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to get too far down this road, but I am curious, being in marketing um, and what type of marketing are you involved in? 
I work for an association, a pharmacist association. Okay. So in in that marketing world, I mean, I'm sure you've learned quite a bit about this idea of marketing, and it is such a broad topic, I realize. But when you when you take what you've learned being involved in marketing, and, and then you come back to the photography world, whether you're looking at Instagram accounts or websites or, or otherwise, are there any things, even just one thing that might pop into your head that you think that photographers at large might be able to do a little bit more effectively if they implement a particular principle that you've seen work in the field that you're working in? I think just this you know, idea of being a really authentic storyteller that's kind of the trend with marketing in general. Like, you know, we just all need to be able to like tell stories better. And if you can, you know, kind of, I, so there's a mix, this is a mixed bag. I'm new to marketing per se. Okay. I, I, my first kind of career is in, in, you know, websites and that has transitioned into like, you know, UX, which is, you know, also transitioned into marketing and yeah. customer. And so I just always try to think about, you know, my customer first, okay. you know, like really put myself in the mind of my customer, like researching, you know, them, like knowing like what they want. And then also releasing the expectation that, you know, I have to be the perfect person for everyone, you mm. know, like I, and I know that, you know, there are plenty of people out there who, you know, are fine marketing to everyone, but I really try to, you know, hyper focus my target audience yep. and, you know, just stick to them. And so I think that that's scary for people to do because they say, oh, well, I'm missing out on all of these other leads and people. But like, if you're talking to everyone, you're essentially kind of like talking to no, not one person and you want to be speaking directly to one person and being able to tell your brand story to them. That's good. Yeah. And brand story reminds me of a book, uh, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, which is one of the most... I need to read that. Oh man, I can't recommend it enough, um, especially around this topic of, of doing the very thing you were talking about, telling a story. I haven't read very many business books that were not, you know, like 80% fluff and and just a few pages of actually good content. This book was incredible. The amount of great, practical, actionable content um, in it and, and just extremely pointed. I mean, to the extent that I have, I use Evernote to keep track of uh, documents, notes, et cetera. And at this point, I think I have over 12,000 documents in there, but it's one of... (laughs) Literally, <laughs> literally, I know I'm a total dork, but there's a section called favorites where you can favorite certain notes. And I, I have literally mm-hmm. favorited the notes that I took from that book um, as one of the, you know, the, of the thousands of the documents in there, one of the few that are on this favorites list, the, the notes from that book, it was just so incredibly powerful. So I can't recommend enough for everybody listening in. And you know what, Leslie, I'm gonna have to send you a copy of it too, because it's, it's just really, really that good. But it, it, we, what I want to do is um, link, we're going to link to those books that you mentioned earlier, make sure that those who are curious about this idea of developing habits, if you're, if you're curious to explore that, you'll be able to find those books in the show notes. We just talked about building a story brand, but this is really kind of a good segue to my next question about the most impactful business or self-help book that you've read. Are there others that come to mind, one or two in particular? So the one that I think kind of started me on a different kind of mindset journey about creativity is big magic. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you know, that was kind of like the first book that I read that had me thinking differently about creativity. I struggled with, you know, calling myself a creative for so long. And so books like that, and um, also the artist way, like really helped me see that, you know, 
every so many things, all the things that we do are creative. And so I just really, you know, enjoyed the perspective of that book. That book also talks a lot about like, you know, kind of pushing through fear. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was probably the first book that I read, like, a, you know, maybe right when I got serious about my business, it really kind of kind of shifted, you know, the way I think about creativity and okay. being so personal and, you know, how can I be true to my own creativity and still serve my clients, you know? So I, the artist's way, I'm going to actually link to, we'll link to the artist's way. That's Julia Cameron. And then uh, the other that you'd mentioned was Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. We'll, we'll link to these in the show notes for everybody curious as well. Big Magic is definitely a book that's come up on the show. Sounds like a popular one. I haven't personally read it yet, but that sounds quite compelling. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, and for those of you listening in show notes, if you go to bocapodcast.com, you can find them there under each episode. You can also see the show notes in the podcast app that you're using. If it has show notes, you just go to that section and you'll see the links to the resources, the, the books, the websites, the social media, et cetera, uh, there in the show notes, as well as the talking points from our discussion. So make sure to take advantage of that. Let's jump into, and I, I love our wide ranging discussion. This has been really nice, Leslie, but <laughs> let me actually get back to your style of documentary photography, documentary family photography specifically, uh, because truly, and, and, to be frank, it, it doesn't happen really very often these days. I mean, I've been in the industry close to 20 years and it, you see so much of the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, I quite taken by your photography, your photographic style. And it's quite interesting to me that you've only been in business for four years, despite having the skill set um, with work that, that actually stands out. How did you develop the style? Thank you so much. You're so kind. Um, so first, I would say that my style is still developing because, you know, I still consider myself a very new photographer. Okay. So it's developing, it's evolving. But I think we talked a little bit, I don't know if this was, you know, in our conversation in the podcast or before, but like me having this, I wanted to be able, you know, mom talk, like I wanted to be able to take great photos of my children. Mm. And I've always, you know, I, I said this in, I think, a bio that I eventually took it out, but you know, that uh, corny, like I've always been a photographer at heart, like, but I, I have, like, I've always loved pictures. I've always like, look, you know, when, you know, in my life previously, before I was a photographer, um, I would like look at other photographers and I would be jealous and be like, oh, they're so lucky to have like that great skill. <laughs> yeah. Not knowing that, you know, my entire life I've been like dissecting photographs. I really used to be into fashion. And so I was really into fashion photography. And that was like my uh, favorite thing. Okay. But when I, you know, had my first son, Zali, who's eight now, I really wanted to be able to take great images of him. But at the same time, I didn't really, I wasn't interested in like the pose pictures. I'm like, you know, I don't remember a lot of, you know, parts of my life. So I really want to be able to document, you know, his childhood. And I also didn't want my family to kind of be resentful of, you know, this new like passion that I had. <laughs> because I think a lot of times, you know, it's just like, it turns into like a burden for everyone. Because it's like, oh, you know, like I'm basically using you as like my prop <laughs> <laughs> yep. while I learn, yep. you know, so I didn't want it to turn into something like that. I wanted them to like, you know, appreciate, hmm. you know, um, what I did because I saw it as, you know, like a creative outlet. And, you know, maybe if they wanted, you know, if they were interested in photography later, I wanted to make sure that it was something that we could all, you know, appreciate and use later. And so I think that's how, you know, this 
the style developed. And then I started researching this, you know, idea of documentary photography, family photography. And I, you know, started to find some lifestyle stuff and I started to find some documentary stuff. And I was like, yes, that's it. And from there, I just kind of dove into, you know, where, you know, composition and, you know, just learning my camera very well. And then using my phone too, I will say, I know a lot of people are like, oh, wow, your phone. But I, you know, my phone taught me so much about, you know, kind of like capturing organic moments and starting off like, you know, with editing. Yeah. People can say what they want to about the phones. Like we're at a place now, I have an iPhone 11 Pro. There's, there is no, like, <laughs> there's no room for criticism really. I mean, these things are absolutely amazing for what they are. I mean, I don't expect it to, to take the same thing that a $5,000 DSLR will. That's not the point. The point is you can take a beautiful image with these phones. And like you said, it's a great platform to practice on. Right. And in fact, the image that you just called out on my homepage, that was a phone image. Are you serious? And that thing won an (laughs) award too, didn't it? It did. So, I mean, like, I I, I really enjoy using my phone. I think it kind of, um, especially maybe for like the work that I do too, I think it's less intrusive. I need to eventually invest in a mirrorless camera on my list. But um, yeah. I, 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 that's just, it kind of has me speechless because I'm thinking, you know what, this, this very much proves, I mean, and this is again, another very loaded topic, but it just proves my point that the fact that you can take an image that just is so absolutely stunning and it's on, for those of you listening in, do go to, to lesliekershaw.com, but then on, on your Instagram, your personal Instagram, Leslie Kershaw, there it's on the August third, it's an August third post and you talk about winning the award with it, but it's just an absolutely stunning image. And the fact that you shot that with your phone, I don't know how people can downplay the significance of the phone. And of course, what that means too, on a lot, very much bigger picture level for us as photographers and what we need to think about in relation to what consumers can do compared to what we can do. Um, but nonetheless, stunning, stunning image. And you all have to make sure you check that out. Thank you. hundred percent. Well, but talk to me about the black and white though, too. And even that image mm-hmm. that you shot on the phone, it's got this particular feel about it. it. Are you, first of all, what, what has drawn you to black and white? And then if you wouldn't mind sharing, what is the process that you go through to apply that, that particular black and white look to your images? I didn't realize that I was going to be a black and white junkie. (laughs) Like when I started, I shot all in color, but I started to notice some, um, like a theme in my images like this, that I really loved this intersection between like light and shadow. And when I started, you know, working to process the images, I noticed that, you know, in processing it, you know, when you're able to really capture light well, it really, really is very impactful, you know, in black and white. And so now I kind of like shoot an image and I know immediately, you know, like how I'm going to convert it. I know that it's going to be a black and white image. And so as I started to like, you know, research, you know, like why um, black and white photography and, you know, like zoning. And I just was like, oh my gosh, this is like, you know, kind of crazy the way that, you know, like the old school photographers, Mm -hmm. you know, they only shot in black and white and how they had to use this unique system when shooting film, you know, in zones with, you know, how to make sure that, you know, um, shadows and highlights were, you know, appropriately exposed for. Right. I'm nerding out on black and white now, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, good old Ansel Adams zone um, system, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just think that there's like, you know, a lot of science to it. I love how it's, you know, super technical. And, you know, for me, I think shooting moments, it just really kind of allows me to get to the nitty gritty, you know, of the moment. Yep. And so 
that's why I love, you know, black and white. <laughs> I think you make a great point. It really does tend to take out um, what can at times be distractions in a color image. Mm-hmm. You go black and white and now it enables the, the viewer to focus a little bit more effectively, in some cases, much more effectively on the subject or subjects in the image. And I, I love black and white for that. People give me a hard yeah. time, or not a hard time, like in a bad way, but kind of laugh, laughingly give me a hard time about the amount that I post. I love your selfie in black and white. Yeah. So good. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a funny thing or it's turned into kind of a funny thing now, but I, I just, I'm really taken by your work. Is there a particular process that you're using for black and white or is it just like a simple grayscale conversion and bump the contrast? Like what, what do you, what's the process you go about? Um, I do. I have a preset that I've created on both, you know, mobile and in Lightroom. Okay. And so, you know, I, I normally use that preset. I have two of them. One of them I created and I started using it a lot for my personal work. Um, I stopped using it as much, but it kind of has like this redness to it. And I really enjoyed using that one for a while because I really felt like it added some warmth. Mm. warmth to the black and white images. So I always add a little bit, you know, of red in the shadows just because, you know, I think sometimes, you know, black and white can can seem very cool and stark. Yeah. And I do want to bring this, you know, feeling of warmth to the black and white. So um that has been, you know, like effective for me and like um portraying, you know, not only the moment, but like, you know, warmth of moments because a lot of my moments I feel like are, are more warm and, you know, joyful and kind of soulful so yeah i'm I'm actually looking at a picture of uh, this is again on your personal instagram account leslie kershaw november 27 2018 so just about a year ago there's a picture you posted of you with two your two boys or two of your boys and oh that's my favorite oh i I mean first (laughs) another phone picture (laughs) is it really another phone picture see that's that's just incredible But the the range of tonality in that image with that black and white preset that you've created is really incredible. I, I'm, you, you should probably go ahead and just like get a Shopify store up there and put the the the, uh, the presets up for sale because you're going to be getting people emailing you, messaging you for, for that preset. It's really beautifully done. And uh, so make sure for those of you listening in, you go check out how these have been being processed. It's a beautiful example of black and white photography, Leslie Kershaw. And then I, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but your, your photography account, Leslie Kershaw photo, and we'll link to both of those in the show notes, but let's get to the ideas, kind of the big ideas. I, I love focusing first on principles and philosophies that drive what we do. We can, you know, the nitty gritty and the how to, and what button do you push and what are the settings like that, that, that carries some significance too, but the philosophy that drives it, I think, carries even more significance. I'm curious what drives your ability as a documentary family photographer. Can you share some of those ideas? Yeah, so the first two are kind of like combined. And I would say, you know, mindfulness and intentionality, you know, kind of go hand in hand for me, like, you know, being very present, you know, with where I am. Um, And I think that actually shooting my family this way has, um, (laughs) this is really corny, but like made our relationship better because like I'm noticing things, I'm being intentional about like, you know, I don't know if you guys follow um, Kirsten Lewis, but I've looked at a lot of her workshops and, and she kind of has this, you know, idea that, you know, if you miss something, like a lot of times we repeat our habits, you know, and that has been um, something that's like been so joyful in me and my photography journey with photographing my family okay. is that, you know, like 
I might miss something, but it's going to happen again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and funny, so yeah. I get to, you know, I get to, especially with kids, you know, they repeat their behaviors. My husband, you know, like we all have these things True. about us that we don't even realize that we're doing, but we, we repeat it over and over again. Yep, yep. And so you have to, you know, I learned this, you know, when shooting documentary that you have to, you know, you have to be present to be able to recognize that and you have to be intentional about capturing it next time and, you know, looking for those cues. So those are two things that with your family, you know, can actually, you know, improve, you know, the relationships that you have with your kids and improve the relationship you have with your partner by staying present and recognizing these gestures and things that make them unique. And I think that it's made my personal work, obviously, a lot stronger than some of the client work I do because I get to be around my family all the time. And I, I know, I'm very used to them. I know, you know, their habits, I know their quirks, I know the things that they're going to do with their hands and those things that they're going to say. I know the things that is going to make them laugh and elicit a certain response. Yeah. So. It's that the significance of presence in a world where we're so easily distracted. It's an interesting skill set that maybe newer photographers will have to put a bit more effort into because it, it is, you know, when, when we can just pick up our phone and scroll endlessly for the next whatever stimulating thing visually or otherwise on Instagram, Facebook, etc., and and then you know there's a TV show that we can go we can binge watch a, a season of episodes uh, on Netflix and then we can go do this thing and that thing and we don't have to to many times work to be present we can just do whatever whenever and oh so, my goodness so Nathan my husband and I were just talking about this with our oldest okay. son because he. <laughs> Like, you know, kids these days, like they're so used to instant gratification. Yeah. So like, you know, he, my husband is really into mixed martial arts. And so he's kind of passed that down to my kids. They're taking judo. Wow. And so like he, you know, my oldest is like, yes, I'm going to be a fighter. I'm going to be a champion. And I'm like, oh, that's great. But then, like, time to practice, he's like, I don't want to practice. Like, I don't want to do the work, right. you know. And so it's like, you know you have to do the work too. Like you can't, you're not going to just be able to get to this end result. I think that's sometimes what, you know, kind of seeing all these images, like we just get to see people's final result, but Mm -hmm. we don't get to see the work, Mm -hmm. you know, behind what they're putting in to do something. And so, um, you know, for our kids, it's just like, they're like, oh, you just, you know, like you, you sign up for judo and then you're a champion. Like, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> you got yeah, to put the work in and you have to actually to focus too. I mean, that that is a, you know, again, mm-hmm. there's a cultural uh, conversation around this idea of being ADD or ADHD. And, and, I, and there, there may be some, some cases that are particularly extreme that need some type of medical treatment. But I think many cases are more just a, a symptom of behavioral patterns that have led to a seeming lack of ability to be able to focus. And again, when we have this instant gratification where we can look this way and that and have something stimulating immediately all the time, uh, you, you tend to lose the ability to be present, to be focused, to look at the person in the eye, to pay attention, to go back to your original point, the nuances, the details of what's going on in front of you and be ready to capture that. Uh, it's really important to not only learn the significance of that, but to develop the skill set, which is paying attention, and then to do so on an ongoing basis. So uh, that mindfulness, and you said the second word was, was it intentionality? Yes. 
And I'm not perfect at this. You know? <laughs> um, I, that's why I said, you know, I think my style is still developing. Like my sure. being able to do this is very hard. You know, it's hard to do <laughs> because of all those things that we just listed. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm still easily distracted. And sometimes I'm not paying attention. But you got to be intentional. Yeah, it's it's I mean, a struggle. Like you you say, have to be intentional. Yeah, it goes hand in hand. All right. So those are a couple of pretty important ideas, especially when it comes to this notion of documentary photography, if you do want to capture the in-between, the nuanced uh, details, you have to be mindful and intentional in that way. What's another big idea? So um, the other one is just, you know, and kind of simple one, but it's just like, you know, a princ- the principle of, you know, creativity. I want to, in, in my, the, you know, kind of my definition of creativity in, in our household is just to be, um, to honestly express yourself. So like, how can I, you know, honestly express my true self, you know, through my work and, you know, how can I bring the things that, you know, I, that are special to me, you know, that see the, the way that I see the world, okay. you know, into my creativity, yeah. you know? Um, and so like one of those themes is like, you know, how I notice that, you know, I love, you know, light and shadow. And so that might be a reason you know, that might be something that sets, you know, my images apart because I really enjoy that intersection. And I enjoy finding that intersection, you know, in everyday life, you know, like where, at what moments can I find that? And that's something that I'm always going to be like, oh, I have to photograph this. Like now I know, I know that that's, that's what I want to photograph because, you know, that's something that, is very, you know, impactful to me, you know, in my creative process. And, you know, I'm already thinking about, okay, how am I going to edit and process it? And, you know, it's going to be like very moody and, you know, result in something that, you know, kind of seems soulful. But, but that's good though. I mean, it's, it's, we were talking about distraction that comes from Instagram. Part of that so-called distraction is by, and you alluded to this earlier as well, noticing other people's work or things that they are doing in their, in their work, their business, maybe their photography and saying, oh, that looks cool. Let me try that. Oh, that looks cool. Let me try that. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, talk about anxiety. We developed this anxiety, which is like, I, I'm trying to do all these things and, and I can't. And, and now I'm confused about what it is that I'm even doing with my own work. And, and so focusing on the thing that you enjoy and letting that come through in your work, letting that show through as your own approach to creativity, I think is a, it's, a, it's a simple idea and yet so poignant too. And it'll enable us to create work that, that kind of stands out as our own. I think it's a really great idea. Yeah, I mean, for me, like I, I have a, you know, high principle of being an individual, having my own unique voice. And also like for my clients, you know, I, I bring that into my business. I talk to them all the time about how like this is your unique life. You know, it's different from everyone else's. So please don't look at, you know, someone else's photos, say, oh, this is what I want. Or don't even look at, you know, my photos and say, this is what I want, because I might not be able to give that to you, but I can come and try to display your unique, you know, perspective with, mm. you know, how you interact with your family. And I think that's more important. When, it, when we were talking about about the idea of uh, so mindfulness, intentionality, and and then this third idea of letting. How would you sum it up best? Letting your creativity or your own 
creative voice shine through. And that sounds so cliche these days because I know that that idea of the, the voice um, is used so much. But is that how you would effectively sum that up? I think so. Yeah. So for me, yes, honestly, honestly expressing myself through my work. Okay, that's beautiful. Well, as we close our, our conversation out here, any other ideas that you want to leave our listeners with with regards to this documentary, Family Photography? Mm, I mean, I think I didn't get to mention the principle of, you know, mastery because, you know, that has to be um, the root of what you do. Like, you have mm. to be intentional about, like, you know, learning yeah. um, your craft. And then, you know, to finally sum it up, just I see this as, you know, a contribution to like my family history and to other, you know, family histories as to why it's, you know, important to even if you don't hire a documentary photographer, but to take on a kind of documentary approach when you're photographing your family. And it's not just if you have kids, it's, you know, your parents, grandparents, your aunts, uncles. We want to be able to, you know, just kind of have images that, you know, kind of reflect our unique family dynamics. So, yeah, mastery. I mean, you, you talked about earlier with with your kids and, and wanting to just be champions off the bat. But it's, it's a mm-hmm. great reminder for all of us that it does take the work and, and not just putting the time in, but doing so consistently, because it's easy to be excited about something, put work in for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, maybe even a month or two. And then it just the, the excitement wanes. And, and at that point, you have to go back to those kind of root level values and then big picture goals that are driving everything that you do and let those just push you forward. The mastery is going to come from not only the time put in, but consistently putting the time in. And that's really important to remember. And then, yeah, remembering the, the significance of, of this legacy that we're passing on. There is, there is something beautiful to what, I mean, not only you are giving to others as your clients, but something that you're doing for your own family as well. And and I can't stress enough for those of you listening in, make sure that you go follow Leslie on Instagram. And actually, Leslie, this is a great segue to my last question or just request for you. If you don't mind sharing with our listeners one more time um, where they can find you online, that would be awesome. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the conversation. I appreciate it. You can find me. My website is lesliekershaw.com. And I have two Instagram accounts. One of them is personal, Leslie Kershaw, and the other one is Leslie Kershaw Photo. Perfect. We'll put those in the show notes. Thank you as well. This has been a lot of fun. In case you all listening and can't hear the energy in my voice, I, this has been a this has been a really really fun conversation for me. Make sure that you go take a look at the Dory show notes. <laughs> show notes, Boca Podcast, b o k e h Podcast dot com, and uh, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu. M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.